our five-week series of non-negotiables. You've heard them this morning, a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a biblical view of man or humanity, a biblical view of the church, and a biblical view of leadership. These five negotiables explain why we do church the way we do here at the Rock Community Church. It all begins with how we view God. A high view of God means that we seek to understand Him precisely as He has revealed Himself. Nothing more and nothing less. Here at the Rock, we are determined to resist the temptation to make God into our own image or into something that we can manage or manipulate. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 39 reads, Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven and above and on earth below. There is no other. The Rock Community Church will rise no higher than our view of God. A view of God that is based on God's self-revelation as presented in these scriptures. Which brings us to our second non-negotiable, a high view of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Our Bibles contain 66 books that have all been identified as God-breathed or inspired by God. 39 books consist of the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Together they provide you and I with a supernaturally preserved, inerrant, infallible, God-breathed, spirit-driven, all-sufficient copy of God's special revelation. Jesus Christ became the Word dressed in human flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14. An exact representation of His nature. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. In the same way that Jesus was a self-revelation of God in human flesh, this written Word that we can hear with our ears, read hold in our hands and understand its meaning with the help of the Holy Spirit, reveals everything that we need to know about God's person, His plans, and His purposes. This book makes living a God-honoring life a possibility for both you and for me. And so the next three non-negotiables are dependent on these scriptures to provide us with God's perspective on man, the church, and leadership. We could say this is heaven's view or heaven down view of humanity, the church, and leadership. A biblical view of man presents a, an ugly reality. You see, we're all born broken. We may look cute and cuddly and absolutely adorable when we first arrive on the scene, but, but don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. 
The psalmist laments the reality. Surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 verse 5. Theologically, it's referred to as the total depravity of man. Sin has infected every part of our person. We are absolutely, hopelessly sinful. And apart from God's intervention, there is no remedy. But thanks be to God. John chapter 3 reads, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And God enables us to understand and accept the truth about ourselves. And allows us to respond, enables us to respond appropriately for his demonstration of love for us through repentance and belief. So that John chapter 5 verse 23 makes it clear. Whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned but has passed from death into life. That is to say that we become alive spiritually so that we begin to live as God intends us to live, both now and forever. God's primary means of communicating this good news message is through an assembly called the church, an assembly of called out ones. That's the literal meaning of the Greek word that is translated church in our New Testaments. In classic Greek, it was used to refer to any assembly of people coming together for a specific purpose. In other words, Woodstock's town council meetings could be referred to as an ecclesia. But Jesus took this word and adopted it in order to label a brand new initiative that he announced back in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus' definition includes anyone and everyone who responds appropriately to God's demonstration of love for them by placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. I like what John Stott, that British pastor and author who wrote a book on the church, wrote, an unchurched Christian is a grotesque anomaly. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. The Rock Community Church is a localized expression of that new community. And I must mention a quote from Scott Horrell in a book that's entitled From the Ground Up, The New Testament Foundations for the 21st Century Church. He writes, Our challenge in the coming decades is not necessarily to grow bigger or even to maintain what we have although these may be worthy objectives. Rather, our challenge is to better be the church that Christ 
desires. Folks, meeting that challenge requires a biblical view of leadership. And this is a non-negotiable that we're going to turn our attention to now. A biblical view of leadership. Some have suggested that leadership is caught rather than taught. Without entering that debate, I want us to examine three episodes that will help us to catch and embrace a biblical view of leadership. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and if you're able to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. 1 Peter in chapter 5. Beginning right at verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sword game, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are Lord of heaven and earth. Indeed, there is no other. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ as an example, actually the exact representation of your nature, dressed in in human flesh. What what an amazing self-disclosure. But even more relevant from where we're sitting this morning, we thank you for these scriptures. May your spirit enlighten our minds this morning as we look together at what your word 
would have us believe and practice concerning leadership. Teach us, we pray. By your spirit and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look first at all at biblical leadership for the church defined in Matthew chapter 20, if you'll turn there with me. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. In these verses, we'll find that Jesus defined biblical leadership by contrasting it with the contemporary popular understanding of leadership. And as we work our way through this passage, interestingly enough, you'll discover that, that contemporary, that contemporary popular view of leadership sure hasn't changed a whole lot in 2,000 plus years. But let's begin at verse 24. And hearing this, hearing what? Come back up with me to verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down, that's an act of respect, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Are you kidding me? Like seriously. These are grown men that we're talking about here. And they've made an appeal to Jesus and they've used their... And remember, this is closer to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry than it is to the beginning. So these disciples have been walking and living with Jesus for a number of months. And yet, there is no doubt in my mind that this is all James and John. Mom was just a pawn. Notice Jesus' response is directed at them in verse 23, rather than he said to her. Granted, them may have include, included all three, but it's interesting that in Mark's parallel account of this very scene, he doesn't even bother to mention mom. In verse Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we read, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do some, do whatever we ask of you. And then they ask, can we sit on your right and left hands? It would appear that James and John were in hot pursuit of the prestige, the power, and the privileges that often accompany leadership. Back to verse 24. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. Now, indignant translates a Greek word that means a state of strong opposition and displeasure against someone or something judged to be wrong. Or maybe something judged to be unjust. You know, 
I know what that feels like. I've experienced indignation. I remember losing a job opportunity once. As I recall, we were down to the final two candidates. There was a meeting. And I was going into that meeting knowing that I was the lead candidate. And then someone decided to use their position of influence to run some interference. And I didn't get that job. And I was indignant. But on this occasion, perhaps the other ten disciples were indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. My sense is that all twelve of these men suffered from a less than biblical view of leadership. Look at verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. There's Jesus' view of contemporary, popular understanding of leadership. Was that it was a top-down leadership. Did you notice the labels and the activities that he associated with or used to describe leadership in this verse? Rulers. Great men. Lord it over. Exercise authority over them. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with those roles and even the activities. But notice the contrast in verse 26. It is not this way among you. Please note that Jesus here is stating a fact. This was not a suggestion or something they were to aim at or something that they would hope to attain to at some distant future point. Rulers and great men lording it over and exercising authority was not their present reality. It is not this way among you, but there's the contrast. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. In this world, it is rulers and great men lording it over us and exercising authority. Leadership from heaven's perspective is servanthood and becoming your slave. Jesus just inverted the leadership pyramid. The way to the top is by serving others. And that, my friends, is upside down leadership. In verse 28, Jesus wraps up this Lesson on leadership by offering the ultimate example of an upside-down approach to leadership. Notice, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus was not, he was not asking us 
to do something that he was not willing to do. Hear these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Even for people who wanted nothing to do with it, he served to the point of giving his life. And remember, it was a horrible death. Betrayal, rejection, torture, crucifixion. The ultimate example of upside-down leadership. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And I would suggest that when it comes to leadership, this is definitely one of those occasions. God's ways, God's thoughts, are not our ways, our thoughts. The world's view of leadership is not God's view of leadership. We will not develop and or maintain a biblical view of leadership by looking at the rulers who lord it over and the great men exercising authority in this world. And yet, in more recent years, it seems that that is exactly where the evangelical church turns its attention. We seem to be looking for the newest, greatest, slickest methods, models, strategies, anything that will propel us toward that that image of success. I was exposed to J.B. Phillips' translation of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, early in my Christian life. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. I would like to suggest that nowhere is that more important or relevant than in this area of leadership because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And as I reflected on some of the implications of Jesus' definition of leadership, I was reminded of an exercise that I became engaged in oh, probably over 30 years ago now. It took some time, but I completed, at the end, a personal mission statement. And I share it with you today because I believe that it captures 
some of the implications of this point. My personal mission statement is to be a developing servant leader who is empowering others to become all that they intend to become, all that God intends them to become, through an inspiring example, biblical teaching, preaching, and words of encouragement. Let me just break it down. Developing. I want to be a a developing servant leader. Developing implies that I am committed to being a lifelong learner. To be upside-down leaders, we will need to remain curious and teachable, but always returning to the Scriptures as our final authority. We need to follow the example of the Bereans as displayed in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. Developing. Empowering others means that I'm continually asking What can I do to improve the lives of others? An inspiring example, watching our lives because other people are watching them. We need to be examples before we can ever be credible spokespeople. Biblical teaching and preaching, studying God's word to obey it and to share it. And finally, words of encouragement. I want to be cheering people on as they attempt to live God's lives that are honoring to God. A biblical definition of leadership is upside-down leadership when compared to what the world is offering. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Here we find a biblical leadership for the church modeled. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Jesus got up from supper and modeled biblical leadership by washing the feet of his disciples. Look at verse 1 to 4. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, girded girded himself. What I'd like to point out in these verses is that it's all about Jesus. He took the initiative to serve his disciples at a most inopportune time. Remember, Jesus had just arrived in the city of Jerusalem, and this is for the final time. In a real sense, he is a he's a dead man walking. In these verses, perhaps, it is his actions that speak 
louder than his words. I'd rather hear a sermon than I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than simply point the way. Nobody was holding a gun to Jesus' head. There's no indication that he was wrestling with some kind of false guilt. Wasn't trying to win the approval of others. Manipulate them so that somehow they would do something in return for him. Neither is it a fear of man that propels him to to lay aside his garments, take up that towel. Jesus took the initiative to serve his disciples. Notice verses 5 to 11. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but wash also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus insisted on performing the role of a household servant for all all his disciples. And you, need, you and I need to understand that, that foot washing was left for, for the lowest of the lowest. It's a menial task. In our earlier years, the Boyd family included two miniature dachshunds, miniature wiener dogs. And no matter how diligent that we thought we were being during those winter months, in the spring, our backyard was a major cleanup effort. And that was a menial task for the lowest of the low. That would be my job. But Jesus insisted, even when he came to Judas, Can you imagine? How hard would that have been? But Jesus didn't hesitate. His act of service was non-discriminatory. Even when it came to one who was his sworn enemy. Let's look at 12 to 17. So when he washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, 
you also are to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus' explanation challenged and inspired his disciples to serve one another. In other words, go and do likewise. You'd really have to work hard to misunderstand verse 15, don't you think? For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. God sent his son into the world to serve. The words that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, are repeated verbatim in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which means or sort of suggests the impact that they had on the disciples. You see, God did not send his son into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' mission from beginning to end was characterized by an upside-down approach to leadership. Remember, this is God dressed in human flesh. He led by serving. And now listen to Jesus' call to those who would follow him. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself. Speaking of surrender. Surrender the leadership of your life to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take up your cross. That's not a piece of jewelry. That's the thing that they crucified him on. That talks of sacrifice. So live a life of sacrifice. Live for the benefit of others. And then follow me. And we all know where that led to. A life of service. And that's what we're called to. God sent his son into the world to serve. By following their leaders... Believers became leaders in serving. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and with this we'll close. I have another point, but we'll save it for another time. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. At a minimum, can I suggest that you find a little recipe card or a little card and you write that verse out and put it in a place where you'll see it again and again and again. Better yet, memorize it. 
meditate on it, think about it. What are the implications of that verse? How does that impact my life, my work, my my relationships? Meditate on it. Allow it to roll around. And then finally, live it. At home, at work, at school, at church especially. Remember Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but, or and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus did not just define biblical leadership, he modeled it. And now let's turn to Acts chapter 6 on another day. Let me pray. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And with you, all things become possible. Help us, we pray, to become people of character who are equipping people of character so that we might lead well with an upside-down approach to leadership. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.